Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Daily Roundup on this, a Monday, February 6, 2023. I'm David Menzies and my co-host, well, let me tell you a little bit about my co-host. You know that today is National Lame Duck Day. And just to show you how much she cares, she sent a greeting card to the biggest lame duck in Canada right now. And that would be, yes, the aptly named Erin O'Toole. She is the she-devil with a sword. She is the Khaleesi of Northern Alberta. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. Hey, how you doing there, Sheila? I'm doing great, David, but I don't know how you neglected that it is National Ronald Reagan Day. Yes. It's, yes, uh, I guess it's his day. I don't know if it's his birthday or not. I think it is his birthday. Yeah. I mean, he celebrated, I mean, he brought in the, I guess, probably the single largest period of economic growth in the United States, or at least comparable to other ones. Um, and now, of now, course, as you know, the left will dance on his grave today, as they tend to do with great conservative leaders. Oh, yeah. And with the help of uh, Maggie Thatcher, dismantled uh, the Soviet Union without ever firing a single bullet. But surely, uh, Sheila, you're not comparing uh, Ronald Reagan with Aaron O'Toole, are you? <laughs> Is it his birthday? <laughs> Is he even alive? Has someone checked his pulse lately? Uh, God, what a boring, boring man. I'm oh, sure nice enough, but just boring. Really, really just boring. And, and you know what, Sheila? I will say this, since we are now in the first anniversary of the Trucker Freedom Convoy, uh, to those um, critics and the usual suspects, oh, well, what did you tangibly achieve? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It led to a regime change at the Conservative Party of Canada. That was the final straw that Mr. Dithers Act that Aaron O'Toole was doing. The Well, I, I kind of support them. I'm reaching out to their association, which had nothing to do with the truckers, by the way. And, and then that pathetic final speech to his uh, colleagues in the House of Commons. I can change. I'll be whatever you want me to be. I mean, that is... I, t- I mean, I'm not saying the trucker convoy uh, was the be-all and end-all of Aaron O'Toole, but I think, Sheila, it was the last straw. I think Aaron O'Toole was the end-all of Aaron O'Toole. But yeah, the truckers <laughs> were a, a catalyst for that. And I think, too, looking back over the last year, the truckers were a catalyst for change within the Conservative Party of Canada. Yep. Normally, in the last, like, seven years of conservative scolding people for being conservative and disconnecting from their base because their base is a little bit too icky and blue collar and is a little bit too uncouth for the fancy Ottawa conservatives and the CBC conservatives. I think it caused a culture shift, like a, a an earthquake size yeah. culture shift in the conservative party where they remembered the Har- Stephen Harper days where you were the Um, party of rig hands and farmers and welders and blue collar people, those people who were the NDP like to think were traditionally theirs, but they never really were theirs because those people are independent minded and entrepreneurial minded. And so they would never conform to social socialist ideology, but I think it caused a sea change and it is very effective. If you look, one of the greatest things the conservative party has done, I think along with numerous, um, sort of not-for-profit organizations is forcing the liberals to back off on their hunting gun ban. The conservatives came out strong. The public came out strong. The um, gun rights groups sort of set aside their prickling and infighting with each other for who's the best one in the country, all united. And they 
got the liberals to not only walk back those two horrible amendments, but like a sort of groveling apology today from Mark Holland or yet last week from Mark Holland, um, although reported today in Black Locks Reporter, where he's sort of kind of sorry for how out of control everything got. No, you're 100 percent right. And I think the liberals also realized the number of indigenous people that were going to be terribly affected by that gun ban. Uh, Sheila. And remember, this is supposed to be supposed to be uh, the pro-Indigenous party, although yeah, Justin yeah. Trudeau's record with uh, uh, Jody uh, Wilson-Raybould and he the, keeps uh, trying to put them out of work in Alberta by blocking pipelines. I'm yeah, like, I know. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> so uh, so I, I, I and I don't know how they could have been so ignorant to that fact to begin with. But uh, but there you go. National Lame Duck Day. I know it doesn't mean anything to do with Canadian lame ducks. It's a U.S. thing. But still, if the shoe fits, right? Sheila, what well, are we trying just to do one here? More, one more thing on the topic of gun rights <laughs> yeah. before we move on for it. Because it's one of my favorite things. But um, now I completely forgot what I was talking about. Shoot. No, now I remember. Um, let this be a lesson for the entire gun rights. I don't want to say industry because it's not really an industry. But the movement in general. A lot of people were quiet when they the liberals said, oh, we're banning 1500 assault style rifles, which included a 410 and a 22. Um, but they were sort of quiet because they're like, I don't own those. I only own the guns that I need to hunt in my wildlife management unit. Um, so I don't really care about those things. And then when the liberal or liberals started the hunt or the handgun ban, they said, well, I, I don't have an RPAL. So this stuff doesn't affect me. I don't own handguns. It's just too much hassle. And it really is. Um, so I don't really care. But you know what? Hunting community, they came for you too. So the point of what I'm trying to say is maybe you should be a, fir a first ditch fighter instead of a last ditch fighter because eventually they did come for you. 100%, uh, Sheila. And by the way, uh, since you've forgotten more about firearms than I'm ever going to learn, <laughs> uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed, um, you mentioned something there, and I I challenge the government, the gun grabbers, uh, the anti-gun associations. What is exactly the definition, Sheila, of an assault-style gun or an assault-style weapon? They can't tell you. <laughs> My expert opinion is that it's things that look cool, which means they're <laughs> scary for liberals because they, they put airsoft into some of this. Um, so things that look cool, uh, things you definitely don't understand, and it's purposefully vague so you can shoehorn anything you don't like into it eventually. Yeah. So it that's the thing. It, it isn't a real gun, is it? It's just something no. that looks somehow threatening to some people that know nothing about guns. So therefore, we'll yeah, ban it's a it. feeling. It's a feeling. And uh, as you know, with liberals, their feelings equal reality. And so all it takes is a feeling that gun makes you feel threatened. It's bad. It's got to go. That's how it is. Now I should tell everybody what we're doing here today. So this is the Rebel Daily Roundup. It's hosted by David Menzies. And sometimes I am his co-pilot on this adventure. Uh, we are streaming on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter, and Getter. Um, and it's a great way for us to talk about the news of the day unscripted, as you see, we'll sometimes head off on a little tangent, but I promise it's all sort of rebel focused content. So, so it might not be exactly um, according to schedule or, or um, precise, but it is always something that exists within the 
Rebel Universe. If you want to support the work that we do here at Rebel News completely willingly, might I suggest you moving away from some of the censorship platforms like um, well, specifically YouTube, because YouTube has demonetized Rebel News. It doesn't allow you to send us a paid chat. So if you want to send us a paid chat and take the show in your own direction, at the end of the show, we'll do our best to read those. And you can leave those on Rumble and Odyssey. On Rumble, it's called a Rumble Rant. On Odyssey, it's called a Hyper Chat. And it's a great way to support us, but also for you to take a little bit of control of the show. Thank you so much, Sheila. I'm so happy you can remember all that nitty gritty. <laughs> so, um, well, uh, here's a concept open for debate and discussion. Is Canada broken? And I would say right now, by every measure, Sheila, I would weigh in with a hearty yes. Um, I'm looking at interest rates uh, increasing, uh, forcing people to, in some cases, give up their homes. Um, prices. Uh, every time I go to the supermarket, you know, I was at Metro the other day. I, I had a little basket of groceries. I said, yeah, that's about 45 bucks. $108 later, um, you know, that's the reality. Um, I also, you know, Sheila, especially uh, living most of my life in Toronto, um, once upon a time, it was known as Toronto the Good. Once upon a time, Peter Ustinov said that great quote, uh, Toronto is New York City as run by the Swiss. It was clean. It was safe. And what do I see here? I see tent cities everywhere. I see graffiti. I see litter. I see violent offenders. And I mean real violent offenders with real assault-style guns, i.e. illegal handguns, getting arrested by cops and getting out on bail the very same day. Uh, I see the TTC, the Toronto Transit Commission, as being... Um, it was unheard of that that was an unsafe space. And now... Um, I know, especially uh, young ladies, Sheila, that will not take the subway at nighttime. That was never a Toronto thing. That was that was a New York City kind of thing going back to the 70s. Yeah, so I'm looking for the proverbial silver lining here, Sheila. Uh, I'm not seeing it anywhere. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And Canadians agree with you, it sounds like. Um, recently, a Canadian politician stated it who did this poll? I don't know. It's from the National Post, anyways. Uh, that 67% of people agree with the statement that Canada is broken. Um, and I think it's true when you, especially, I mean, if they're uh, polling heavy and like oversampling in urban areas, for sure. Um, and this isn't exclusive to Toronto. I think this is a part part of a problem of progressive policies from big city mayors in Canada's large cities, same way it is all over the world. If you follow Arthur C. Green, he's a Western Standard reporter based out of Edmonton on Twitter. It, his Twitter account is just full of images of the moral and social decay of downtown Edmonton. Mm. And, and that's had progressive mayors for, I don't know, the better part of two decades anyway. Um, and it's not getting any better. It's only getting worse. And I saw this headline the other day and I took note of it because it was so like, even in writing the headline, didn't somebody think Houston, we have a problem with Toronto here, but this seemed completely normal. The, it's from uh, the star and it said, I can't even believe that the star has an affordable housing reporter, by the way. Um, but anyway, <laughs> 
I wonder well, they if also the affordable have a social justice reporter. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if the affordable housing reporter thought about how the advocacy of open borders policies affects affordable housing in Canada because you can't have housing keep up to the demand, and then green policies which don't allow for the building of yep. houses the way we need. But anyways, it says those. Listen to this. Those sheltering in the transit system worry about their safety amid the recent spate of TTC violence. So you've got people who are literally, for lack of a better situation, living in the TTC, homeless people, for all intents and purposes, they are homeless. I mean, the TTC station is not a house. They're living there, and they're worried about the gangs also trying to occupy the TTC stations. And somewhere in the middle, normal people are trying to go to work. Yeah. No, uh, and by the way, Sheila, please get with the program. I believe homeless people, that's under the ban uh, at the Toronto Star. I think the term is um, those without homes, which means, of course, exactly the same thing. Right. You're homeless. Right. I'm not making this up. Um, No, you're right. Um, And that's the thing. I mean, when we, I mean, there's so much to tackle here, but um, when we try to get a solution, this is the problem, is that people, we need change. Uh, it has to be done sooner than, rather than later. Well, how about going back to um, the situation of yester decade, where we had mental health facilities that incarcerated people for their protection and ours. And, and you thought it was such a great revolution going back to the 60s and 70s to liberate these people. We'll give them their meds as long as they stay on their meds. Well, yeah, that's the problem, as long as they stay on their meds. And, you know, it's terrible, Sheila, because a lot of those people you see that are homeless, that are riding the transit system, they are mentally ill, you know, and mentally ill people don't make the best decisions. And yet, I bet you those Toronto Star reporters would be appalled at the very idea of incarcerating people. But and I don't mean forever, but maybe until they get better, if they can get better. That's a big assumption. But how is it a better solution in minus 20 weather? We had a horrible uh, Friday and Saturday on the weekend that people are uh, breaking into vacant buildings to, um, you know, get through the night. They're sleeping on the TTC at least until it, uh, you know, runs down. Um, I don't see that as a good solution for anyone. And like you said, Sheila, I'm sorry, but public transit vehicles are for people commuting. We pay a fare. We get in, we go to point A, point B. It shouldn't be a shelter on wheels. Yeah. You know, and before somebody writes me a letter, I fundamentally disagree with the warehousing of developmentally disordered or developmentally challenged people. I think that was one thing that did need to change when we closed some of the facilities in the 60s, uh, because there is a better, more humane way to help people live with dignity if they're developmentally challenged, of course. But that is not the same as people with acute mental illness being dumped out onto the street um, to fend for themselves and then calling it kindness. Um, there's, you know, if anybody has experience with people within their own family with mental illness and it touches so many families, it becomes a cycle where 
people will take medicine and they start to feel better. And so they think they're cured. So then they stop taking the medicine. And then it's just a perpetual cycle. Also, the side effects of the medicine is also very difficult to live with the physical side effects. So people just don't want to take it. Um, but they're, they're mentally ill. They can't make the best choices. And forcing them or dumping them to live on the street, not the best. Um, but yeah, let's. I think we should make the distinction between developmentally delayed and challenged people um, with the mental, the mentally ill who um, they, they need intervention and often institutionalized care. They really do. And speaking of uh, incarceration, another story here, uh, Sheila, will knock me down with a feather. The majority <laughs> of Canadians believe that prisoners should still be segregated based on biological sex, according to a poll. Can you imagine that, Sheila? Because, folks, if you don't know, and this is another uh, change in the name of social justice by your Justin Trudeau liberals. Um, if you are a 300 pound linebacker sized male with a full beard and you're in prison for uh, an offense, um, over 50% of which would be uh, sexual assault, um, you merely have to say, I identify as a female <coughs> and bang, you're in a federal penitentiary for women. And God forbid if any of your cellmates, biological woman, refer to you by the wrong pronoun, such as he or him, which is what they are. And by the way, I should point out, Sheila, these aren't people transitioning. These aren't people who have gone through the hormone therapy. They haven't had their genitalia sliced and diced. These are just guys saying, I'm a chick and you are in like Flynn. Um, and you can imagine what the problem is. Um, in some cases, well, I would say this, Sheila, I don't have hard data. But do you think maybe most of these guys are gaming the system, especially since most of them are sexual offenders? You know, kind of like, I'm the fox. I want to be incarcerated in the hen house, uh, so to speak. So, again, if the majority of Canadians believe prisoners... If you're a man, you stay in a, a male penitentiary. And if you're a female, you stay in a female penitentiary. Why are our leaders, why are the Justin Trudeau liberals saying, no, we, we must have, uh, you know, open feelings for these people. We must accommodate them. And by the way, Sheila, here, you know what the ultimate irony is, is that if you are a female prisoner, I'm saying yeah. a biological woman, and you say, you know what? I'm a dude. I want to go to the male uh, prison. You are not getting your way. Why? Well, because the prison guards don't want to be on 24-7 alert protecting you from basically being gang raped because that's what's going to happen. So all of a sudden, when that reality, when that rubber hits the road, uh, oh, no, 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 uh, know your role and you stay in your gender-sized prison. But when it comes to that linebacker, uh, getting in with the females. Oh, no, this is all about uh, being tolerant of trans rights. Give me a break. There's a lot to unpack in this McDonald Laurier Institute study because, um, you know, it is not female to male transgender inmates being asked to put in to be put in those prisons uh, into the like male prisons. They're not asking to go there. Hmm. And I think there's a reason for that. And it plays out in the data for the reasons the male to female ones are incarcerated. 
So it says the poll released by the McDonald Laurier Institute Thursday shows that four in five Canadians say it's either somewhat important or very important to segregate prisoners based on the two biological sexes. This comes right in. This is the most important part. And this is why the female to males are not asking to go into the other prisons because they are not being incarcerated for the same reasons as the male to female ones are. This comes right in after new numbers from the Correctional Service of Canada revealed that almost half, half, that's abnormally high. 44% of female to, or uh, sorry, of male to female transgender inmates have been incarcerated for sexual offenses. They want to continue to offend while in prison with captive victims is yeah. what's happening here. And we know that women are women, biological women are not often incarcerated for sex offenses. So that is why the female to males are not asking to go into the other prisons. And here's the part that proves every preconceived notion I have about modern feminism. You know who's sticking up for the men or for the ladies? The men are. While men respondents said sex segregation was very important, 42%, it was at a higher rate than female respondents at 35%. Women were 16% more likely to say previously male transgender prisoners should be housed with women. How do you explain that, Sheila? They are, they will, they, these are not pro-women, women. They call themselves feminists. I think the word has probably been hijacked, but I don't care. I don't describe myself as well. That's for them to sort out. I don't describe myself as one anyway, but they will, it, they'll sacrifice their fellow women on the bonfire of this progressive madness and then pat themselves on the back because for them to be tolerant and progressive is the only thing that matters. And if the bodies stack up along the way, who cares? It's just, they think they're different than the communists of yore, but they are exactly the same. Millions of people, 16 million people, 30 million people. It's all the cost of doing business to impose your ideology on a group of people. And if these women get hurt along the way, incarcerated in a federal pen, they don't care. It's all part and parcel of doing business and imposing their worldview on people. Sheila, I would argue if you're a feminist leader or you're Justin Trudeau, who identifies as a feminist, we all know that, and you support a policy where you have male offenders, especially sexual assault male offenders, going into a woman's prison, you're not a feminist. You are a misogynist. You are promoting hatred and harm towards biological females. Where's the feminist argument in that position of accommodating these male offenders? It's because they aren't feminists. I, I mean, feminists have destroyed their own word. Um, I, I don't think they are that. I think it's progressive ideology at all costs. And if it's women that get hurt along the way, fine to them. If wow. it's little kids that get hurt along the way uh, because they are over-sexualized too young, they don't care. They don't care as long as they impose their radical anti-human garbage on the rest of us. They don't care who gets hurt. As I said, it's the cost of doing business, collateral damage, other people's kids. They don't care. Sadly, I think you're right, Sheila. Well, listen, before we switch to another topic, I think we have an ad break. So uh, without further ado, let's roll it. I'm speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. 
when violent and fanatical men are attempting to destroy the unity and the freedom of Canada. But after weeks of dangerous and unlawful activities, after weeks of people being harassed in their neighborhoods and small businesses forced to close, as democracy flourishes in Canada, we don't always agree, and that's okay. Because individual liberty is cherished in Canada. Our government will always defend freedom of expression and freedom of peaceful assembly. It has now been demonstrated to us by a few misguided persons. After evidence of increased ideologically motivated violent extremism activity across the country. Just how fragile a democratic society can be. It became clear that local and provincial authorities needed more tools to restore order and keep people safe. These are matters of the utmost gravity, and I want to tell you what the government is doing to deal with them. The federal government has invoked the Emergencies Act. The public's legitimate right to know why the government proclaimed an emergency and whether the actions it took were appropriate. It is our view that there was no justification whatsoever to invoke the Emergencies Act. It's so tough to watch. There's no reason for that. They were literally running the horses through the crowd. The police came straight to me and he targeted me and he, he, he took his gun of tear gas and he actually shot me directly in my legs. Was it worth invoking the Emergencies Act, ma'am, to trample on the rights and freedoms of Canadians? Why do you think excessive honking means means that the government should strip citizens away from their rights. Our next and final witness is Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Order a lot. If you want to look good and shine like me, you can do so at our store. Go to ribbonnewstore.com. On this website, you have so much different style to wear as this one, my favorite one, Justin Castro. With my code Alexa10, you will have 10% off on your next purchase. So don't hesitate, go now and look so good like me. Well, you know, uh, Sheila, when Justin Trudeau was being quoted uh, there, um, there were so many lies. I, I couldn't keep up with it. But I just want to see what the biggest lie is, because I was there for most of the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa last year. And when Trudeau said, after weeks of small businesses being forced to close, those were his words. Nobody forced them to close, Sheila. Um, and whether it was the demonstrators or the government, this was a fear factor generated by the government and their useful idiots in the mainstream media. You know, the barbarians are going to descend upon Parliament Hill. And I remember one of the stories I did, I was it was the second Saturday and I was in front of a Tim Hortons and one by one by one of people coming up and pulling on the door only to discover that it was locked. And these were families. And yep. all they wanted was a coffee and a muffin and maybe to spend 10 minutes inside the <coughs> restaurant uh, to warm up. Uh, they sacrificed thousands and thousands of dollars worth of sales because you had well over 100,000 people on the hill that day. And I would estimate 
maybe 95% of downtown Ottawa restaurants were closed. And I'll tell you one thing, Sheila, the 5% that stayed open, lineups out the door. Were staff harassed? Was equipment or tables vandalized? Of course not. And yet, in the narrative of Trudeau, small businesses being forced to close, by whom? Well, by nobody. They generated fear to scare people into closing down. That's on you, Mr. Prime Minister. Anyway, it was even worse. It was even worse than that. Uh, one of the stories where it's on our list of things to talk about, but I think we'll just touch on it right now and then breeze right past it, is that this week the Auditor General, General is set to release a report about how the Ottawa City Council and the Ottawa Police dealt with the Freedom Convoy. But as it came out in the Public Order Emergency Commission, the police were putting these business owners in in an untenable position because what they were saying and Ottawa police, you remain some of the worst in the entire country, the worst, thank God the OPP got involved. Um, the, they were telling the business owners, if you open your doors and serve these people, we are going to fine you for doing business with them. And so a lot of them had to close their doors not because they feared the truckers, but because the pro not the province, the city wasn't allowing them to do business with them. It's atrocious. And, and you know what, Sheila? That was part of the big lie that I was referring to because those restaurants, I, I mean, there was one very close to the action. It's a hybrid uh, Vietnamese Thai restaurant, which we went to several times. The, the, the people that run it are just fantastic. They're wonderful folks. And there was a Sharama shop further up the road. And but they always had lineups out the door. And they, to my knowledge, they were never once fined. That was all garbage that the cops were going to yeah. go and, and uh, fine, you know, mom, pa restaurants. I mean, uh, Udi, as bad as the Ottawa police are, they're not quite uh, Dr. Elaine Davila. I, I keep defaulting to Cruella, who uh, shut down Adamson Barbecue as in permanently uh, while allowing Costco's restaurant to open. I think, and I think some of this scaremongering was perpetrated by city council and by the business associations. I saw those two uh, local busybodies from the business association who were saying they were driving around in a war zone. And then she showed pictures of it at the public order commission. I'm like, looks pretty normal to me. Uh, thanks for submitting video evidence to make yourself look like an idiot. But they were also going around saying, like basically stoking this fear among the business community that if you served these people, you could potentially be fined. So uh, there's a lot of misinformation yeah. And as it always turns out, it's on the side of progressives and conservatives are usually like, I'd like to just hear from everybody. And progressives are like, no, there's only one way to think and this is it. And uh, if it changes, then we'll let you know when it changes. And Sheila, here's my theory why nobody was fined. Can you imagine the constitutional challenge? If oh. I'm running a mom, Paul restaurant, I'm going, wait a minute, I'm a legal entity. Yeah. I'm selling legal items. I pay to the city a business license in order to operate. How am I breaking a law by opening my doors? Yeah, I'm not because even a demonstrator. A well, because there was a mask mandate in place. And they were basically saying, if you serve these maskless convoy terrorists, you're the one getting the fine. Oh, so in other words, uh, restaurateurs, waiters and waitresses, cooks, they have to take on the role of uh, law enforcement 
and yep. go after maskless people. That's yep. not my bailiwick. I know how to make chicken soup. I don't know how to write a ticket right. for not wearing a mask, right? It's right. it's pr yeah. preposterous. <laughs> yeah, I love how they made the 16-year-old hostess at the front of every restaurant suddenly become a <laughs> bylaw officer for minimum wage. Yeah, oh, what that was nice. What cowards, what lying cowards they are. Um, and, and by the way, for what it's worth, um, I think, is it February 20th? In other words, two weeks from today that the report is going to be tabled, uh, the yes. Emergencies Act inquiry. Um, yes. And uh, so we have to have all hands on deck for that. Uh, if I'm a betting man, and I am, uh, and I have the losses to prove it. <laughs> yeah. I'm betting big that uh, the Trudeau liberals are skating on this one. That's they skate on everything else. I yeah. mean, if history is a predictor of the future, they do. They have skated on everything else. I think they might get their hands slapped a little bit, and then they're just going to rewrite the Emergencies Act to make it easier to invoke the next time around because it's basically been normalized now, and they have resorted to mob justice and rule by mob. So they say, well, they constantly point to the majority of Canadians supported the invoking of the Emergencies Act. Okay, great. The more majority of Germans also supported the treatment of the Jews. I don't think that it is fair to uh, cancel minority rights because of uh, the sentiment of the mob, because everybody has fallen to some sort of mass psychosis. That's not how you govern minority rights are supposed to be protected from the whims of the mob. That's why the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is there. It's because your rights are immutable, regardless of what other people think about you and what you have to say. Um, so ruling people by just mob rule, uh, that's uh, like antithetical to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. 100% Sheila. And I see we have a story here. Um, it's actually kind of scary that this has to be an issue to begin with, but Alberta to require free speech reporting after uproar over controversial academic visit. You know, once upon a time, Sheila, correct me if I'm wrong, but academia, you know, the universities and colleges, that's where you could hammer out debates on the most contentious issues imaginable. You know, uh, abortion, capital punishment, uh, gun control, and the list goes on. And now if you're against the woke mob, you get deplatformed, you get canceled. Um, but I'm happy to see that uh, Premier Daniel Smith is taking a stand against this. She'll be um, eviscerated, of course, in the press for doing sure. so. But um, uh, good on her. Well, and that's the thing here. Uh, so it's Frances Widowson who has received an award from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms for her advocacy uh, for academic independence. And apparently there is only one way for academics to be, and that is completely in line with the government of the day. Well, that's yeah. not Francis. And I think Francis is actually on the left. I think she's a lefty. Um, but uh, as they tend to do, they're eating their own when she, as David Menzies says, went off the reservation. And uh, yeah, I, I think Francis two years ago was the winner of the George Jonas Freedom Award, which Tamara Leach won this year, or I guess in 2022. Um, so... Uh, when Jason Kenney was premier, the Alberta government, I think is advanced education, that's our post-secondary ministry, said we're adopting the Chicago principles, which is basically free speech and academic independence on university campuses. Great. Perfect. This is their first test of it. Um, and it, 
frankly, I think the advanced education minister, Dimitrios Nikolaitis, is a little late to the game because the problems with Francis showing up at the University of Lethbridge campus started weeks ago. Only after a mob shows up, shuts her down, she's canceled by the school and she bravely shows up anyway, does he say, you know what, we got to do something about this. We, we, we need to deal with this. Buddy, you're the guy in charge of the university system. You should have told him at the beginning, look, as a province, we've adopted the Chicago principles. You must adhere by them. You invited her to speak. She's going to speak. You're going to ensure her safety. And if disagreeing people want to come in and, you know, debate Francis, great. I think she's up for it. And she was, by the way. And the reason Francis is so controversial is she said this. Um, she suggested that there had been an educational benefit to residential schools. She didn't say they were a good thing. She didn't say they were great for Indigenous culture. All she said was there was an educational benefit yeah. to residential schools. If you disagree with her, guess what? Show up and ask her a question. Exactly. I think she would probably take the question. Now, she was canceled. She was petitioned against. And initially, the university said, in the face of public pressure, that they would allow her to appear because it was in line with their policy on free expression. But they kowtowed to the mob, mob rule once again. They canceled it after they said her views were in conflict with the views of the university. <laughs> and and so this place that believes in free expression, you can, but you can only talk if your free expression is completely in line with the university. She actually showed up because um, she said, I'm going to do my speech anyway, whether you stop me or not. And she was basically shouted down and uh, pretty well run out of campus. Um, but yeah, this mob shows up. This She's a little tiny lady, by the way. Like she is like Tamara Leach size. She's not a big lady. Um, but her ideas are dangerous to these people just by her holding them. And again, I say, if you disagree with her, go there and go to the microphone and ask her a question like a normal human being. But you don't cut out her tongue. You know, Sheila, I, I can't believe how the university is spinning this. Basically, University of Lethbridge is a crazy place, though. It's a crazy, crazy place. They will have like pro-Iran uh, people sort of, uh, they were, I forget what it was, Press TV. They had like a, they were graduating a bunch of these weirdos out of there. And uh, so they're tolerant of a lot of like diverse viewpoints, which University of Lethbridge, you wouldn't think it was a progressive hotbed, but uh, that's the problem with the entire university system is in these small towns like Lethbridge, all the progressives just go work at the university and that's what you get. Unbelievable. But basically what the university is saying, if I interpret it correctly, is that uh, she is running af afoul of our compelled speech policies, right? That's what they're saying. Yeah. You know, we, um, we're not about free speech. We're about a certain narrative a certain type of compelled speech and you've walked away from that and therefore we can't have you deliver your point of view that's the complete opposite to free speech you know do these university uh you know people that are making these policies do they realize how perverse this is coming out of their mouths it, it's almost unbelievable sheila this is why if you're listening to me at home parents send your kids to a trade school the They'll carry less debt. 
And more importantly, they will not be brainwashed and they will have useful skills to rebuild the world when these progressives burn it all down. Uh, the guy who knows how to weld, the lady who knows how to knit. And so you will be king and queen <laughs> of the society after these progressives burn it all down with their bad ideas. And uh, like you send your kids to university, you pay damn good money for them to be, uh, to learn how to think, to be exposed to these diverse worldviews. And yet they go there and they come out completely brainwashed. Yep. What if, if you didn't want to hear Francis Widowson speak, you know what a normal person would do? Not go to her. Exactly. Talk. Oh, no, no, no. That's, That's not how it works anymore. <laughs> no, that's not how it works anymore, Sheila. And, you know, folks, Sheila's bang on when it comes to the trades. Uh, there's a wonderful book called Blue Collar. I'm proud of it. And it's a fellow in the Massachusetts area. Um, never did that well in school. Um, went to one half year of university, said this isn't for me. Starts his own landscaping company, essentially cutting grass for rich people in the Boston suburbs. Uh, before long, uh, 15 employees, uh, $2 million a year in gross sales. Uh, yeah, so, um, you know, maybe his day-to-day uh, -day vehicle is a Ford F-150 pickup, but his weekend vehicle is a Porsche. Um, nothing to be shamed about in terms no. of working with your hands. Um, and yet what's the alternative? You're going to take gender studies. You know what that job <laughs> leads to? It leads to a role of being a professor of gender studies and right. nothing else. And those jobs, uh, aren't begging for anyone right now. Uh, most of those professors I'm sure have tenure and they're hand, ha hanging on to that, uh, yeah. scheme of a gig, uh, with both their hands clutching Sheila. So absolutely. And I think part of the problem of getting kids into the trades are certain parents, Sheila. Oh, no, no, no. I want my kid to get a university degree and, you know, this and that. And th th there's some sort of stigma, which I can't understand about working with your hands. Work with your hands these days. There are jobs that are going to pay you in six figures. Yeah. Um, look, my son is a pipe fitter. So, so uh, I'm I'm so happy that he didn't go the university route. He wasn't. Um, it's not that he wasn't a good student. He just school wasn't his thing. He didn't like it there. He'd rather be out doing something and making money. And now that's exactly what he's doing. And he's building the world. And he doesn't have a hundred thousand dollars in university debt chasing him around as he tries to start his life. And there's, as you say, there's no shame in that. Somebody has to build all the things that make the world go round. And those are blue collar people. A hundred percent. I see we have another ad break and then we'll get to our last uh, subject of discussion and uh, read some of your feedback. Have you checked out the fresh new swag we have at rebelnewsstore.com? Like this nifty resistance trucker sweater? We have warm, cozy sweaters, t-shirts, mugs, hats, phone cases, you name it. Everything to fit your freedom-loving needs or maybe even trigger a liberal family member or friend. And for a limited time, you can use code TAMARA10 at checkout to save 10% off of your total order. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com, check out all of our new designs, make some purchases, and use code TAMARA, that's T-A-M-A-R-A, -A 10 at checkout for 10% off your order. Head on over, check it out.
you will uh, switch over to foreign affairs and uh, riddle me this. If someone gives you an armored vehicle, what do you say? Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Very funny, David. Very funny. Although we Just, are giving them old leopard tanks, so I don't know. I, did you see the tracks on those? I follow a lot of like military CAF veterans Twitter, and uh, they had those leopard tanks loaded up in the aircraft to be shipped off. And someone pointed out that they didn't even do like the bare minimum maintenance before they are sending them over to oh, Poland. Come on. The tracks look like they're being they're rotting off, like rusted off. I've seen old D series cats that have been abandoned uh on like a forestry cut line in better condition as far as the tracks go. They were awful. That's appalling because really, um, then what is the purpose of having that tank? The number one attribute of a tank is not necessarily its firepower. That's important. But the number one thing is mobility. You can move your uh, cannons at, um, you know, uh, flick of a switch. And the idea that if you're correct, Sheila, that these, um, you know, treads are you know, haven't been maintained, they're about to break, what have you. Uh, you've really basically eliminated the number one rationale for having a tank in the first place. Yeah, I'm going to flip just, Olivia, I'm going to flip you something here where you can see the tank tracks at the back. And the person who's weighing in is a veteran. I know he's a veteran. He's starred in a documentary about Canadian Armed Forces. So I know who he is. Um, and uh, he points out that there's been no track maintenance done on these things before we deployed them. So if he, he points out um, they didn't do track maintenance, no pad metal cross piece for winter conditions where they're going. So he knows what he's talking about. He was in the, I think he was in infantry. So very familiar with this stuff. And he's saying, we just sent them garbage that they can't even use in the conditions in which they're fighting. But that's the <laughs> Canadian military. Remember, we sent um, soldiers to the Middle East wearing green and our American friends had to help us out. Here we are. I remember that. Was it green or were they sent Arctic uh, fatigues? White. No, I think it was green. <laughs> I think it was green digital camo. And we had to borrow from the Americans so we didn't end up dead. In a desert somewhere. Yeah, imagine that. We sent them camo that essentially had <laughs> the opposite functionality of camouflage. Uh, it made you stand out as opposed to blending in to the territory. <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't laugh about it. That's that's terrible. That's just such incompetence. Yeah. Speaking of incompetence, I still don't know. Like, again, I think the military up at Alert Bay where our NORAD facilities are probably did their job and alerted Canadian officials about the spy balloon. Um, but the Canadian government has still not explained why they let the spy balloon just travel down the West part of Canada into Montana. So it could lurk on all the U S nuclear installations. And they said, you know, we're sort of concerned about, you know, if we shot it out of the sky, it could have landed and hurt people really in the high Arctic where there's nobody in Northern Alberta. There's nobody. Um, you could have shot it down at any point. What, what are they doing? Well, I, I think as we discussed last week, Sheila, that NORAD, given that the cold war isn't such a thing for the last several decades, 
they've just no, we lost um, it. Pardon me? <laughs> we lost the Cold War. If China is guess, sending a balloon yeah. down the side of the continent and nobody seems to do anything about it until it's done its spy mission, I'm not sure we actually won the Cold War. Yeah. I mean, Sheila, I, I, I'm being honest. It is so rare I see the uh, acronym NORAD in a news story, except when it's Christmas Eve and they're tracking Santa's right. sled. That, that seems to be their only job now. But I want to talk to you about one other thing about this balloon is that, um, so we, we dropped the ball clearly when it passed over Canadian territory and we still don't have the answers why. But when it went into U.S. territory and then uh, President Biden had to finally make a decision after a couple of days uh, to shoot down this balloon, which I understand is the size of three school buses. Um, here's did you notice the mainstream media narrative in the United States, Sheila? Do you know that three times uh, balloons came over America when Donald Trump was president? First of all, Sheila, this is news to me. because, And I'll tell you why it's news to me. If that had happened uh, under the Trump regime, you know the mainstream media would have torn him to pieces right. ab about this. So why is it now becoming news? I watched the same journalists over the course of 18 hours. It was quite fascinating. <laughs> I think uh, uh, there's a, what I forget the Twitter account that rounds up like the the libs owning themselves. But what, like journalists go from, we can't shoot this thing down. It'll cause an international event to thank you, President Biden and the U.S. military for sh shooting down this thing. Like, so they were like, when the government wasn't shooting it down, it was a good thing. And when the government did shoot it down, it was a good thing. And it's like, pick a lane, losers. Like, could oh. you figure out where you stand on some issue other than whatever's going on in the Swiss cheese mind of your Alzheimer's riddled president? But but Sheila, one of those reasons that you just cited, it doesn't make sense. Uh, shooting down this um, balloon, creating an international incident. No, no, no. The international incident has already been created. Right. You have invaded sovereign territory. Oh, then again, uh, maybe what if that balloon was carrying a, a convoy full of migrants? Then maybe I can see the Biden administration saying, oh, uh, no, that's OK. Uh, we're uh, we're not uh, all that big on uh, border security these days. No, but seriously, uh, that's the infraction, much as though if, if it was like a, a Chinese naval vessel that came into the 200 mile territory of the U.S., uh, that's the incident, not your threat of saying, turn around or we're going to play a little game of real life battleship here. So uh, how do you explain that as an excuse? I also saw mainstream media journalists who purport to be intelligent people <laughs> saying, well, we we shot it down. So it's none of its information is going to go back to China. Do they not think that this thing was reporting back in real time everything that it saw? Of course, but they think that it's got like some sort of cassette tape that is just like <laughs> recording on an eight track and it's got to go all the way back to Beijing where they put it in the little eight track player and press play so they can figure out what's going on in America. No, it reported back in real time. I mean, it's China. They wow. have facial recognition technology that can tell you if you're a Uyghur or not, you know? You know, I, 100%, Sheila, and, and and I think that 
the only excuse I can think of Canadian authorities for not reporting this, maybe they mistook uh, that giant balloon for um, shop teacher Carrie Lick-Lemieux going skydiving again and, uh, you know, uh, misinterpreting those two <laughs> Zeppelins. <laughs> you know, I honestly think they did tell the Americans and the Americans are like, shh. <laughs> shh. Nobody talk about it. I think that's what happened. Um, speaking of Anita Anand, our, yes. um, she's our defense minister for some reason. Uh, <laughs> she's a lawyer uh, who completely bungled the COVID procurement process. So they're like, you know what? We should put you in one of, charge of one of the most important portfolios. God help us all. Um, she's also now saying that we are deploying Canadian surveillance planes, which I guess we didn't deploy when we were being spied on by the Chinese, uh, to spy on gang activity. I know, not in Toronto, in Haiti. <laughs> Can we get at least a drone flying around the TTC, Anita? Could we at least do that? No, they're surveilling gang activity in Haiti while Toronto is just descending into Port-au-Prince, yep. I guess. Huh. Yeah. Go figure. My worry, Sheila, um, with here's a long range uh, patrol aircraft going over uh, to Haiti. We've got tanks going over to Ukraine. We don't exactly have the most robust military. <laughs> Is there anything left in the cupboard for our own home security? Just in case, you know, because I find that the world post Trump has become an increasingly violent and dangerous place. I'm talking in a foreign policy a narrative here. I mean, are we really in a position to give away all these assets? No, and if Tucker Carlson gets his way, we'll just be taken over <laughs> by the Americans anyway. It's, again, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> like, I, I'm Albertan. I want out anyway. Um, <laughs> Take me with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm listening. I want to hear a solid plan. <laughs> before I make my mind up, but I'm listening. Um, I know we have a couple of chats, but we must talk about, I think there was some sort of music awards show last night, but oh yes, I, as you know, I checked out of popular culture a long time ago. Every time I check back in, I hate it. So I check back out again and I'm constantly reminded why I don't want anything to do with it and why my music tastes exist in the seventies and early eighties country music where it was safe. Um, so apparently, like I, I watched a video last week with Tamara Sam Smith, who I guess is a performer, uh, non-binary, um, doesn't oh, wear no. enough clothes. I, I don't know. I, I understand the kids like him. I, not my kids, but the kids, the kids like him. Um, and he, there was this music video where it was very like hedonistic sex cult uh, with like possible urination stuff happening. Anyways, it was terrifying. And again, um, I said at the time, if you wanted me to think that the music industry in Hollywood was a satanic hedonistic cabal of weirdos, you maybe don't show me this video. But then apparently Sam Smith doubles down at the Grammys last night and uh, didn't even try to cloak it in artistry like his horrible video was. Um, why don't we show this? And again, uh, I'm not one to give trigger warnings, but uh, this stuff makes me viscerally nauseous in a physical way. And uh, so if you're like me, just, uh, I don't know, sorry in advance. Oh, I've been 
Yeah, Sheila, so you've just made the case with that clip. Uh, I mean, I, I never watched the Grammys uh, for even Me before neither. they got woke and politically correct. And now- I don't know who any of the people are. Yeah, I don't know who any of the people are. Ashley McBride, she won a Grammy. I like her. She is like traditional folk country music. I like her. Um, but I can find that out in the news. I'm not going to sit through the entire Grammys just so that I, I can find out Ashley McBride won. I don't care. Um, Waylon Jennings just drank too much and did too much cocaine. I didn't feel like he was trying to send the entire society straight to hell. But that clip shows you that if you find my iPod on the road uh, and you go through <laughs> my musical library, why 99.9% of the songs are from the 70s and 80s. Me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you talk about the day the music died. Oh, it died somewhere in the 90s. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's just, and, and by the way, if you were to Go to the NHL All-Star Game for escapism. Again, something I haven't watched in decades, but I pop open my Toronto Sun on Sunday and I'm looking at the photos of the the, the uniforms the teams were uni- uh, wearing, and they're basically um, stylized version of the transgender flag. It's uh, white, pink, baby blue, and, of course, the triangle, uh, which... They've added to the rainbow flag. That's the new rainbow flag. You got to put the trans triangle in there, which represents uh, transgender, indigenous, and people of color. Um, and what I don't get, Sheila, two things about that. One is uh, when you have the pride flag, LGBT, the T is for transgender. So you're already represented. And secondly, what does race have to do with it? We're talking sexual orientation, right? But anyways, um, if the NHL wants to know why viewership is down 30% this year, maybe when you uh, dress up uh, manly masculine hockey players in uh, stylized transgender flags, uh, maybe that's why, you know? So, um, and here's the thing, Sheila, I don't care where you stand on the issue, whether it's the Grammys, whether it's hockey, I used to go to award shows, um, Hollywood movies, TV shows, sports as escapism, not as a lecture of this is what you should think. This is what you should wear. Trans women are real women. I I don't want any of that crap. And all that crap has infected uh, entertainment and sports. And I think that's why ratings are plummeting. Yeah. And everything is some sort of stupid cause. Like, Lizzo, apparently I'm supposed to care because she's some kind of talented flautist. But all I can see is a morbidly obese lady who I think probably has musical talent, although I'm not, uh, I'm, that's not my genre of music, who doesn't wear enough clothes and wants me to look <laughs> at her bare body all the time instead of listen to her music. It's very frustrating. But I just, I just, I don't know. See, I know that there was an earthquake, I think, on the first. (laughs) No, I'm not making a fat joke. I'm just saying that if Los Angeles fell into the sea, I I think maybe, probably, they have it coming a la Sodom and Gomorrah. That's all I'm saying. So, in other words, you're probably, if you were to rewatch Superman the movie from 1978, because, as you know, Lex Luger's 
Oh, I'm no, cheering Lex for Luthor. the bad guy. Yeah. What, what's that? <laughs> I'm cheering for the bad guy. Yeah. yeah Lex Luthor's plan was to hijack a U.S. nuke, uh, hit the San Andreas Fault, have California uh, go into the ocean, and he had already bought up worthless Nevada desert property, which would become overnight beachfront property. So Lex Luthor is supposed to be the bad guy in that movie in 1978. You're saying Sheila Gunn-Reed, he's the good guy in a 2023 lens. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I will be watching movies with my kids and I end up cheering for the bad guy all the time because <laughs> I end up hating everybody that I'm watching. What was the movie? Moonfall? Halfway through, I was cheering for the moon. I was like, yes, kill everybody. Knock these people <laughs> out of orbit. Kill everybody. I just couldn't stand any of the people. Um, I, I often cheer for the whatever the cat the catastrophe is to kill everybody. Um, because the the characters are just so insufferable that I just don't see them as redeemable. Um, which is why I think Hollywood's blockbusters are the anti-woke stuff like the Top Gun reboot. It was like masculine and fun and fast paced how movies used to be. Um, those movies are doing well and the other stuff is just unwatchable and you end up like me just cheering for um, a cataclysm. Yeah, no, well said. All right, Sheila, I think we have some uh, responses. By the way, while you're looking for them, do you remember the destination for the second nuclear warhead that Lex Luthor hijacked? No, I don't even remember the first place. You had to tell me it was L.A. <laughs> Hackensack, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, well. Because that's one of the best scenes in uh, the movie where his uh, uh, assistant, Valerie Perrine, she asked, Lex, where is the other um, nuclear missile headed to? And he says, Hackensack, New Jersey. And she says, but Lex, my mother lives in Hackensack. <laughs> And Lex <laughs> Luthor just does this. Oh my. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> All right. We've got uh, a chat from PG Cats because this 10 bucks. Has Lafredo been fired yet? I think you mean Jeremy Lafredo. Actually, we parted ways with Jeremy probably about six weeks ago. He went off to do other things. Um, so, no, we didn't fire him. He's been gone from Rebel News for a while. Uh, DRB 1313, 10 bucks. Marxist regressives can't tell us what a woman is. <laughs> um, why would we expect them to define an assault style rifle? Maybe I should identify my AR as a trans rifle. Anyone have some rainbow paint? <laughs> yeah, can't define what a woman is. And in some cases these days, uh, all I can think of, Sheila, is that BG's hit. More than a woman to me, if you know what I got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's a like a gay gun rights association, the Pink Pistols. I think and, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, Pink Pistols. And they're like, yeah, don't disarm us. You keep telling us that everybody's committing all these like anti-gay hate crimes. Why do you want to disarm us? Like you, you, you have to pick a lane. Like you keep telling us that all these like conservatives are coming to kill us which we aren't. And they, I think they agree with us. I think they're largely sort of doing this out of tongue in cheek, but if you are against gay bashing, why would you disarm them? Amazing. Yeah. Well played pink pistols. Uh, Fraser McBurney gives us five bucks. The Trudeau government failed us again. The commie balloon entered Canada's airspace. Why didn't we shoot it down? Yeah. We have CF 18s with side winders, 22 mile range with a service ceiling of 50,000 feet. Well, we do if they are not, uh, 
in the repair shop, I guess, at <laughs> CFB Cold Lake, um, which I think they just have de- like a dedicated facility of just swapping parts out and <laughs> putting putting other used parts on. It's a yep. used car lot down there for um, Australian junkers, which, <laughs> which is what we got. <laughs> they were selling them for scrap and we're like, no, we'll pay top dollar for your garbage. Thank you very much, Australia, which is what we did. Oh, That's and great. Sheila, don't forget, this was in the 90s, I think. Remember we bought those used submarines? Submarines. <laughs> yeah. Because you know what? I don't know about you, Sheila, but if there's any vehicle aside from an airplane, I don't want to roll the dice on in terms of my personal safety. It's something that's hundreds of meters under the ocean. <laughs> Do you remember when Canada had more serviceable like service ready submarines in West Edmonton mall than they had <laughs> in the Canadian Navy. I remember that was the big joke, but it was true. We we're like, Oh, I think we have two or three in the mall uh, taking people down through sea life caverns. Uh, I don't think we had any operational at, at wow. one point there. In the, yeah. Well, at least the All mall right. is safe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened to our submarines. They're gone now. Uh, now it's a, like a sea lion show. I don't know whatever happened to those. Yeah, I know. There's a Thomas Dolby song called uh, One of Our Submarines is Missing. In Canada's case, it's all of our submarines are missing. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, buying junkers from somewhere else or like not replacing stuff when we're when all of our NATO partners are doing a big buy to replace stuff. So they get a bargain because they're all buying together. And we're like, no, we don't think we need that. And then 10 years later, Justin Trudeau's like, I have an idea. Let's buy those jets for way more money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, is that Uh, the last chat there, Sheila? No, we've got two more. Two more. Okay. Twinks gives us five bucks regarding residential schools. They did have educational value and were often the only schools available to kids in the far north, both white and First Nations kids. I think that was the point that Frances Widowson was trying to make, although I don't know because they didn't let her talk. Yeah. Um, People need to stop drinking the Kool-Aid of woe. Um, It is true that in some very remote communities, it was white kids and indigenous kids at so often the church run government sanctioned residential school. And it was the only school. That is true. Uh, Annalisa, 1964, 20 bucks. Hello, my two favorite favorite people sending big hugs to you both. And of course my sweet Menzies, a little kiss (laughs) on the cheek. Oh. If I wasn't going to barf over Sam Smith. That'll do her. <laughs> I'm How kidding. dare I'm you? Kidding. Well, Annalisa, you're so sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much for that <laughs> kind word, despite the nastiness Sheila just committed there. But I guess that, <laughs> I guess that's, that's that. Um, well, listen, I want to thank uh, Sheila, super producer Olivia, and guess who's back from Vietnam today? It is super oh, producer God. Efren. Uh, doing a great job, and uh, nobody in this company deserved a nice vacation more than Efren, but I am happy to see him back. He's that darn good. And thanks to everybody that tuned in. A special thank you to all those who gave us a super chat. Uh, Until tomorrow, which I believe Sheila and I will be at this space at the same time, 1 o'clock Eastern. I think it's Tamara tomorrow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think it's Tamara. Oh, Tamara? not Sheila. I think so. Who knows? Um, Drea, maybe. <laughs> One of those two. They did the little switcheroo in the morning staff meeting this morning. But also, before we move on, big shout out to uh, Key and Simone for filling in for oh, Efron of course. while Efron was gone. 
uh, Kian really stepped up, worked really hard and uh, kept everything humming along because yeah. Kian already has his own job and a huge workload and he stepped up to cover off Efron and uh, we couldn't have done it without him. So No, the, the best compliment I can give Kian, uh, Sheila, is that I honestly expected the entire operation to fall apart in Efron's absence <laughs> and it did not. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> I did too, no it offense. It did not. So there you go. Way to go, Kian. So until uh, tomorrow, folks, at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, as always, stay safe and stay sane. The McKinsey scandal uh, has been gripping the attention of Canadians. Uh, we've had new revelations every day, it seems. Uh, and uh, as we've said in the House, you are the company you keep. McKinsey has had so many scandals around the world, uh, their involvement with Purdue Pharma, their involvement with the Chinese government, the Saudi government, the Russian government, uh, and yet this is a company that Justin Trudeau chose uh, to, to go to repeatedly uh, for contracts with the government of Canada, work that the public service said they could do themselves. Now, the Liberal response to the McKinsey scandal has been to say they're going to have two cabinet ministers do an investigation. These are cabinet ministers that would have been responsible for the process all along. We don't believe that liberals can be trusted to investigate other liberals. That's why conservatives are calling for the auditor general to conduct an independent investigation into what happened with the spending on McKinsey. Uh, conservatives will be moving a motion today in the House, a concurrence motion, uh, to have the House of Commons endorse a recommendation uh, from committee asking the Auditor General to come in and do this investigation. We don't trust Liberals to investigate themselves. We don't trust the two ministers who are responsible for procurement and for the Treasury Board to be the ones investigating their own conduct in this respect. That's why we think an independent investigation of the Auditor General is important. Uh, and we will be moving a motion after question period today, asking the House to endorse this call on the Auditor General uh, to conduct the independent investigation.